following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 7 this morning. As we look at a message, take it to heart. You know, to be tender-hearted in our culture today is oftentimes viewed as a bad thing. People think to be tender-hearted means that you're weak or you're naive or you're too easily swayed by emotion. You're too ready to let your feelings get in the way. I may not look like the type, but I cry in films that have stirring moments of emotion. Films like The Patriot, Courageous, The Lion King. Those films are, get to me. When I'm in the theater and there's a film that I cry in, you know, I always have to wait a little while as the lights come on. I have to, to wait for the theater to exit a little bit so nobody notices the tears streaming down my cheeks. The tragic lesson from our text today is that Pharaoh was hard-hearted. Pharaoh was not tender to the things of God. And the truth is, we all need to admit and confess that we too can be hard-hearted if we're not careful. We too can become uh, bitter or we can become unforgiving or we can even come against God and, and question, God, why are you doing this? And, and why don't you move in the way that I want you to move? So how's your heart this morning? Pharaoh's heart was hard. He refused to accept that God was the one true God. He refused to acknowledge what God was doing and follow him. And all the people of Egypt had to suffer greatly. Is your heart following God today or someone or something else? And then what evidence is there in your life that your heart is soft before the Lord? Well, pull out your listening guides and fill in these spaces of truth. Beginning with, this is a lesson about grace as God works patiently with Pharaoh and us. Look at verse uh, 14 of our text. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Now why didn't God just strike Pharaoh down in an instant and let God's people go? I mean, God has shown us that he can do that, right? I mean, in the New Testament, we saw him strike down Ananias and Sapphira because they, they lied about some money that they made on some land and they, they held it back and they didn't give their tithe. They didn't give what they should have. But God doesn't strike Pharaoh down. Why not? I think one of the primary reasons is the same one he doesn't strike you and me down today. And that is his grace. That is his patience. He worked patiently with Pharaoh over and over trying to get Pharaoh to surrender to his will. And he showed Pharaoh that, that he was the God over all the other gods. He was superior over the gods of the Egyptians. And God's grace is also evident in the way he protected the Israelites, eventually sparing them and leading them out of captivity into the promised land. The reality and the dependability of God's patience is our first lesson. But secondly, notice that God is in charge and we should not take for granted the gifts he gives us. Before I read verse 15, let me just share. Do you remember Bob Miles when he was here? He was one of our faithful older members. And now he's, he's going to church with his daughter and his family. And, and I, I support him for that. I applaud him. He's where he needs to be. 
But he went here for the longest time. And I remember he would always have this phrase when I would talk to him. He would always say, we always have to remember who's in charge. And he would point his finger up to the sky. And he would look up. We knew he was talking about. He was talking about the Lord. Whatever we're going through, we always need to remember that the Lord is in charge. Look at verse 15. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. Now, why was Pharaoh going to the river in the morning? Was it to catch the sunrise? Was it to bathe in the water? Was it to go for a swim? Was it to play monkey in the middle with a water balloon? We just don't know. Was it was he going fishing? We know there was fish in the water, according to uh, this chapter in verse 18. Was it possibly to participate in some kind of pagan ritual and, and worship? We don't know. It could have been any of those or all of those. What we do know is that the water of the Nile River was Egypt's primary source of a water supply. And we also know that the Egyptians... Not only got all their water from this source, they actually worshipped the river as a god. So it was important to them, and I have a feeling that very often they took this water for granted. But we're not too much different, are we? You and I woke up this morning, and just as expected, we got into our showers, we turned the handle, and we expected that water to come out and flow. We turned the faucet on in our bathrooms and we wanted to brush our teeth and we just assumed the water would come out of the faucet. But this text teaches us a very important lesson and that is we should thank God for our water supply while we have an abundance of it. After all, not everyone has access to such clean water as we do. Many in developing nations have water that is scarce. And how about the problem of, of water pollution? That's real. That's something in our world today. And although man is responsible, God is watching over and he's showing us if we're not careful, we may not always have the clean water that we take for granted. I think that's what the Egyptians had done. And while we don't worship water like they did, we definitely tend to take it for granted. But what would happen if, if all of a sudden water stopped flowing out of our pipes? How about if we turned the washing machine on and we didn't have water to wash our clothes? I, I think we'd probably go into a panic, wouldn't we? We'd probably wonder, what's happening to us? Why is this happening to us? That's exactly what the Egyptians were going through. And the lesson is God can take water or anything else from us at any given time. So we should be thankful. And a way to demonstrate that thankfulness to God is by attending church regularly, tithing of your money and your income to the Lord, praising Him and praying to Him a, a prayer of thanksgiving for all things. Notice in verses 16 through 19, don't focus on the miracle. Instead, focus on the message. Look at verses 16 through 19. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Verse 19, 
And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. So the first plague is the water in the Nile River turns to blood. All the water in the Nile, Egyptians, the, Egypt's primary source of water supply is suddenly gone. It's rendered useless. God said what he would do, and that's exactly what he did. Now the Lord Moses, commands Moses to go to Pharaoh in the morning and station himself, station himself there. Can you imagine how scary that would have been? I mean, here's Moses, and here's the king of Egypt. Here's the one with all the power, all the authority, and Moses is to go confront him with what God has told him is about to happen. Fear can be an amazing thing. I mean, we see this struggle in our world today as people are afraid to leave their homes. You know, it's easy to be afraid of violent criminals that could attack us. It's easy to be afraid of being in a car wreck because we see how many car wrecks happen and how many people are killed or injured. It's easy to fear death and disease. And while we should take all the precautions we can to protect ourselves and the ones we love, it really all comes down, does it not, to trusting in God's ultimate protection. Who do you trust the most? The government or God? That's why I think so many people are are confused about some of the limits on our freedoms in our country today because there's no end to them. Nobody has a solution of how low the cases have to get before we get back to normal. And listen to this. We are never, ever going to get to zero risk when it comes to living our lives. Every time we step out of our doors, there's a risk that something bad could happen. That's where we just have to put our faith in the Lord. Notice, we don't face our fears alone. The Lord commands Moses to take Aaron with him and to take the staff. And the staff is the the staff of God that was turned into a serpent in chapter 4 and verse 20. And he helps him to see that by this he will gain strength and, and authority. But notice, even after Moses does all this, even after Moses says what God says to do, he is still rejected by Pharaoh. The magicians also duplicate the blood and and the plague of frogs that you'll hear about next Sunday. Pharaoh hardens his heart and he doesn't listen and he continues to harden his heart. You see, rejection is something that we're to be expecting. In fact, the text says that Pharaoh will reject the truth when it is shared. God even predicted that Pharaoh would reject Moses. And I got to tell you today, there are passages all throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, that says our world is going to get worse before it gets better. There are going to be people who ridicule us as Christians and mock us and persecute us. We better get ready for it. We better prepare. We better prepare for rejection because it's coming on a deeper scale. As we think about Jesus promising rejection, he also promises an escape. He promises a resolution to this, and part of that is the blood of, uh, of the river. Now, sometimes thinking about blood is a good thing, right? I mean, for example, you should know your blood type. Sometimes I think my blood type is coffee, okay? 
it's good to give blood at the blood connection. Even if it's just to drink the juice and eat the chocolate chip cookies at the end of giving. But when we think about turning a river into blood, that sounds a bit disgusting, right? I remember when I was a, a young kid, I hated the sight of blood. I just struggled with it. It made me nauseated if I saw blood or people gave a real detailed description about blood. It would just turn my stomach, even to the point of possibly passing out. And I remember, you know, God has a sense of humor because what did he call me into? He called me into the career of pastor, right? The vocation of pastor. Where, pre-COVID, where did most pastors spend their time? In hospitals, right? And when you're in the emergency room or you're back in ICU and those doctors are working on patients and you're praying with the family, what's all around you? Blood, okay? Blood is everywhere. It's on everything. And I got to tell you, God's shown me grace through the years because I've, I've gotten better, okay? I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not great. I won't choose to go through times where you know, there's a lot of blood everywhere. But if I have to, God sees me through. And while... You know, blood can be a nuisance to some. The difference for Pharaoh was it was his only source of water. Where did their drinking water come from? The Nile River. Where did they take a bath? The Nile. Where did they get water to cook? The Nile River. Can you imagine taking a bath in a bunch of blood? Ugh, it just sounds awful. But there's another thing I want you to know, and that is God doesn't, didn't just send random plagues. He wasn't just picking out blood or frogs or all these things in a, in a random way. He, he was doing something to show them that he was over their gods of Egypt, including the Nile River God. The people of Egypt worshipped Happy, spelled H-A-P-I, which was the name they gave to the Nile River. The God of the annual flooding of the Nile was what they worshipped because they felt like that showed they had been blessed because of the overflow and abundance of water. But they also worshipped frogs. They also worshipped all other sorts of things in nature. And so when God sent these plagues, what he was saying is, you say you're God over the Nile. You say you worship the God of the Nile. I'm showing you I'm the one who's God over everything. So let me challenge you today to make a commitment to take to heart what God is saying to you. What miracles is God speaking through to you today? And are you listening? And are you responding? Are you obeying? Are you hearing the message? God is going to accomplish his purposes with or without us because, as we see from our next point, the plans of God, though rejected, cannot be defeated. Look at verses 20 and 21. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. In this first plague through Moses, the revelation of the power of God has no effect on Pharaoh's heart. It's hardened. He turns and just walks away as we'll read in just a moment. 
There are going to be times when, when we believe the truth and we speak the truth and we trust in the power of the Lord and yet we're going to see no real tangible impact on people's lives. They're going to reject our message. They're going to just turn and walk away. It's going to fall on deaf ears. Maybe this happens in your workplace. Maybe with some problem you're facing, some problem person that you're trying to deal with, you speak the truth, you try to do all the right things, and nothing really changes. It just falls on deaf ears. Remember, God is all-powerful. And the God who provides the water and everything else will not be defeated even when we are rejected. See, we know the rest of the story, right? We know what happens in the end. Moses and the Israelites, they get away from Egypt and they go across dry land because God parts the Red Sea. And then the Egyptians follow and Pharaoh follows with his chasing army and the water swallows them up. So it's easy for us to look at this and and recognize, yeah, we know what happens. But Moses didn't know. Aaron didn't know. The Hebrew children didn't know what was ahead Sometimes we, we wish sometimes, I just wish God would use some kind of miraculous event to show the world that he is God. But nothing could be more powerful, nothing could be more miraculous than him sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, spend three days in a tomb, and then raising him up from the dead after three days. That's the greatest miracle of all. You see, the saga of Israel's journey to nationhood is a precursor to God's ultimate gift of eternal life, freeing us from the bondage of our sin. We use that striking word incarnation to describe how God became one with us in the form of his son, Jesus. And God is God of all that exists. He even says here in verse 17, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. As God's people, we don't always have the answers. And and sometimes we learn the most from God, not through the good times, but through the experiences of suffering that we go to. This account of the water being turned to blood raises many questions in my mind. Why did God send the plagues in the first place? I mean, obviously, he could have just paralyzed the Egyptians and just let the Israelites walk away free. Why did he use these particular plagues? Blood, frogs, lice, locusts, flies. Some really strange stuff here, right? But why? One reason is because when God says something, no power can stop him from bringing it to pass. Not only was the Nile River worshipped as a god, but the fish of the Nile River were considered sacred and protected by law. In fact, they were protected by two powerful goddesses, according to the Egyptians. And then the Bible says that the the fish, they they died, and and the river stank. Do you know what dead fish smell like? (laughs) It's not pleasant, is it? I read a story about a guy who who was denied a loan at a bank. Rather than get mad, he decided to get even. He rented a safety deposit box. He put three dead fish in it. He locked it tight, and he walked away. What a horrible thing to do. Even the Lord records here through the author Moses that Egypt reeked with the stench of dead, rotting fish. But you know, when they smelled that rotting fish, it was a testimony to the power of God. It was a testimony of God doing what he said he would do. 
Pharaoh said, this river is mine. God said, no, this river is mine. Here we have an epic battle of gods, and Lord Jehovah wins. The one true God is the one who is victorious. Then we learn in verse verse 22, this inability to turn the blood back to water is an example of the deceitful nature of sin. Look at verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Just like the magicians did the same of turning a staff into a serpent, they did the same thing with water turning into blood. Somehow, through their secret arts, they did the same thing Moses did. But notice, he still wouldn't listen to Moses and Aaron. One of the main reasons for this account being in the Bible, I believe, is to demonstrate not just for the Jewish people, but also for the Egyptians and also for us, all of humanity, since we have it recorded, that God controls every aspect of the physical world and the spiritual world and nothing is out of his control. In fact, this whole essence of idolatry is the belief that there is a God over every force in nature. In Egypt, they worshiped the Nile God, the sun God, the cattle God, the fly God, the frog God, and many, many more. The ten plagues were designed by God to illustrate his superiority over all those false gods. He is the great I am over everything. And while the magicians of Egypt could turn water into blood, notice they could not turn blood back into water. And that's what the deceitfulness of sin is like. Sin can bring you such pleasure for a period. But what sin cannot do is bring you back into a right relationship with God. Sin can destroy, but it cannot rebuild. Sin can make you feel good, but it cannot satisfy. The good feeling will eventually go away and you will find yourself unfulfilled once again. So the Holy Spirit of God inspires Moses to write down these words we hold in our hands today as a lesson for us to be totally dependent upon the God who is over us all. Not any so-called God of power or water or sex or money or pleasure. You know, there's no, perhaps no greater picture of total dependence than an infant being cared for by his mother, right? And you think about that, that small child, you know, maybe, maybe holding a bottle by himself, but he's still dependent on the parents to provide that bottle. And the parents are dependent upon the dairy farmer who owns the cows who supplies the milk, just as dependent on our creator who provides the straw to feed the cows. God is someone we can trace back as the provider of all things. And at some point in our spiritual development, most of us begin to think, I think, well, you know, I've arrived. I'm I'm pretty independent when it comes to spiritual things. We made the mistake of not taking on more dependability. Sometimes we take the responsibility of taking on less because we think we've made it. But we never have or ever will create our own food. We never will create anything that we don't have provided for us by God. So we should never get to a place where we say, you know, I've got this. 
I can provide for myself. I can provide for my family. I can provide for those around me. The truth of the matter is, we don't have this. But God has us. And as long as we're dependent on him, it doesn't matter what happens. God will provide what he says he will provide. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will rather boast more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 23 teaches us, and write this down, God does not adapt to our expectations or methods, but we should adjust to his. This is just an incredible event that's described an an incredible action pharaoh verse 23 turned and went into his house and he did not even take this to heart he didn't even take it to heart you don't have to start your own religions to have a, a false god all you have to do is put your faith or or trust in anyone or anything else other than god What is that thing in your life that you must bow down to? Is it your career? Is it money? Is it some other form of of success, maybe in sports? Or perhaps even it's you. You live as if your life revolves around you. Think about the conversations you have with people. Do you constantly talk about yourself? Do you make it hard for others to get a word in edgewise? Are there ways you could work on on asking probing questions of other people, open-ended questions that would allow them the opportunity to share and listen, listen to what they share. Not just do it to be doing it, but actually concentrate on their response so you can find what they're going through, what they're facing, what they're feeling, what their problems are. A giant 108-foot statue of Krishna the god of Hinduism, which cost nearly a half a million dollars to build and took more than six years to construct, came crashing down in the village of India before it was fully finished. The statue was receiving its final polish at the local Hindu temple in Narsingpur when it came crashing down and killed two workers and one passerby. Said one worshiper who felt the tremor and came outside to see what was happening, it toppled in no time. Given the size of the statue, it's an amazing thing that more people were not killed or injured. Whatever you live for, besides the one true God, is a false idol and one day will come crashing down because nothing lasts forever except God. And our relationship with him. Everything else will disappoint. And we'll be left to pick up the broken pieces. Thankfully our God will never fail us. One final thought from our text. And that is Satan and demons never improve things. They only worsen them. Look at verses 24 and 25. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink. For they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So in rivers and streams, ponds and puddles, in stone jugs and and wooden buckets, blood was everywhere. Swimming pools, 
garden houses, everything was filled with blood. Pharaoh magicians turned water to blood as well. But here's the question. Where did they get the water from? Well, the answer is they had to dig for it. And it's a real brilliant act on their part, is it not? The whole nation's dying of thirst. The river's been turned into blood. And what do they do? They turn the remaining water supply into blood. You see, Satan, demons, and dark forces can and do perform supernatural feats. But Satan never does anything, and demons never do a single thing which makes things better. They only worsen things. They don't have it within them to improve life. Yes, they can make more snakes, and they can make more blood, and they can make more frogs, but all in all, they multiply the trouble. You can truly tap into demonic power through psychic hotlines, horoscopes, astrology, Ouija boards, and tarot cards. And by the way, I was talking to someone yesterday, and they told me about a friend they had who had been... uh, messing with a Ouija board, had it been involved in witchcraft, and it actually summoned up a demon, Beelzebub, to come into their life, and he did. And now this person's possessed by the devil. The things he described were incredible. And and he said, what do we do? What can we do? And I said, you know what? Pastor Craig will be glad to go see this person. (laughs) And I'll be glad to to go along, okay? (laughs) We're not going to go by ourselves, but we'll be glad to go and pray for this person. Because here's the thing. I have no doubt from what this person described, this person is possessed by the devil, okay? Just some of the acts and some of the actions, it was real. But here's the thing. If Christ comes into his life, if we're able to witness to him and he softens his heart, lets Jesus come into his life, a person can't be possessed by two gods, Okay, so if Christ comes in and that's what we're going to go for, then that person will get saved and that person will come to faith in Christ. And here's the thing that really gave me the most hope is my friend said, you know what? He wants to be free of this. He's not happy with it. And that just kind of opens the door, I think. So we'll give you more information as that transpires. But I can assure you there's a battle going on in our world today that's spiritual. Three of the most difficult words to say or I have sinned. By saying them, we start down a path of true repentance. But just saying those words is not enough. In fact, we'll read that Pharaoh says, I have sinned in chapters 9 and 10, but he doesn't really mean it. Balaam said, I have sinned, but it didn't last. Numbers 22. Achan said, I have sinned, but it was too late. Saul said, I have sinned, but not with humility. And Judas said, I have sinned, but he didn't repent. So the Bible makes it clear that all of us continue in sin, even after we're believers. 1 John 1.8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But just admitting our sin is not enough. How are we any different from Pharaoh or Balaam? or Achan, or Saul, or Judas, is all we do is say, you know, I've sinned. Genuine repentance means confessing I've sinned with conviction and a willingness to change our hearts and habits with God's help. Because once we realize and embrace who Jesus is, 
He pulls us out of the quicksand of sin and death and he helps us to be the person he knows we can be free of sin in the sense that we are one with him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.